0: Welcome to the Drum History Podcast. I'm your host, Bart Vanderzee, and today I'm joined by John Medum, who is the owner and operator of CocktailDrum.com. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, sure. And, and of course, uh, you're a performer as well, as you told me, as a very eclectic um, kinds of music, all kinds of different things, um, some of which involving cocktail drums, of course. So we'll, we'll kind of go into that later. But... Um, This is one of those episodes that I have had multiple people um, request, I'd say over the last, probably after the first six months of the show, every once in a while, someone would say like, hey, a um, a cocktail drum episode would be really cool. But the last one, and I always want to give people a shout out if they recommend an episode on Instagram, Bobby801 is the one who recommended this. So thank you to Bobby. Um, But anyway, John, so why don't we... uh, why don't we jump in and maybe start by explaining what a cocktail drum kit is and then teach us the history. Okay.
1: Um, Well, the the current, what I would call the current definition of a cocktail drum usually involves some sort of kit that has a uh, bass drum pedal that strikes upward Hmm. and hits the bottom head of a drum. It could be a floor tom or a floor tom, which is a little bit taller than a regular floor tom they're usually played standing up and very often there's a snare it's either a snare mechanism in that single main drum a uh, set of wire brushes that pushes against the top head or it could be a side snare mounted so that you have a regular snare on the side and the main drum acts as kind of a floor tom when you play the top and a kick drum when you play the bottom hmm. i think that's what most people think of when they hear cocktail drum yeah but there's nothing defined there's no actual definition it was sort of a hodgepodge history of different experiments that people were trying and uh, even to this day there's still some variations on that different people doing different uh
0: techniques of uh, making these kind of drum kits yeah that's super fascinating and and i'm I'm interested and I'm sure we'll get into it about the 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 kind of technology of having the bass drum you know the kind of the long cocktail drum where you know, the top part is the snare, and the bottom part is the bass drum, and how that affects the sound. Because I have never played one. I don't think I've. No, I have. I, I did once or twice. There was a drum store here that I, I taught at, where one came in and I played it, and it was awesome. But um, it's definitely it gets it takes some getting used to. Um, but absolutely. But before we go there, let's just learn about where these uh, quirky, <laughs> interesting instruments, um, came from. Sure.
1: Um, well, the, the earliest reference I have seen to anything remotely resembling a cocktail drum is in a 1931 Leedy catalog. And they have something that they call a conga Tom. Hmm. And basically it's a single headed, what looks like a floor Tom. It's a little bit taller and it stands on legs and it's tall enough that you play it standing up. Uh, in, in the description on the product page, it says authentic Latin tone. And uh, I think in the 30s, uh, in the early dance music, kind of leading into the swing music, there was a lot of focus on African rhythms, African drumming, and Latin rhythms and Latin drumming. So I think a lot of these dance band drummers were looking for new sounds, new ways to incorporate the sounds and rhythms into their songs. Yeah. Um, so, so these things, you'll see them in some old pictures where someone will have a kit, you know, the, the big old kit with a 26 inch bass drum, and they might have one of these drums on the side and it's positioned in a way that you can see that they probably stood up and played it, or you might see a band leader with one standing at the front of the stage. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a show drum as well. Very cool. Yeah. That was the first thing we saw and I have not seen any, uh, and, and if someone has catalogs out there, please send them to me. Um, the next thing reference that I have seen is in 1948 there's a catalog for the uh, entry for the Carlton King combination completely different concept this is a drum kit that has a 20 inch kick drum or or Tom whatever you want to call it but it's turned on its side so that there's a head facing up and there's a head on the bottom now this drum, actually has a full timpani tuning mechanism on the inside of it. Hmm. So there's a huge metal bar across the bottom. There's a pedal for doing the pitch up and down like a timpani. And there's a kick pedal specifically designed to hit up and hit that bottom head. So that's the first time I've ever seen the upward hitting pedal. Wow. And that kit also had a snare mount on it. So there's a snare on the side. Uh, mounts for lots of auxiliary percussion. You usually see it with bl- wood blocks, which you would see with a lot of the old dance band kits back then. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, apparently, these were used in small pit orchestras at, at dance halls and movie theaters and things like that. It was a way of kind of uh, expanding the drummer's uh, r- uh, vocabulary and sonic palette while still trying to keep it relatively small.
0: Interesting. And Carlton is a British brand, um, yeah. which is kind of cool. So um, and let's so people listening, if you go to cocktaildrum.com, then dot com on the left under learn, there's a history tab and you can actually see a picture of this drum set that he's talking about. But there's a really cool um, uh, article that's by Liam Mulholland from that was from Drum Magazine. But it's just, you know, so you can see some pictures and stuff on the website as we go. Um, which is where I'll be kind of clicking through um, as we talk. But, gosh, it's just so fascinating, but it's it's so interesting, too, because you think like, you know, who was the guy who invented it? you know, where where did it come from? Is it, it it's kind of like one of those things where, like people like George Way or something who invented so many little things, like I, I just wonder who the guy was who um, actually started to flip the drum over, or if it goes back to um like you said with the African, you know, the, the people wanting to be more in that, where if this was something where it was taken from another culture, and they said, "Okay, this is cool, we can do this," and um, and it's just it's just interesting to to piece it all together, like like you've done.
1: Yeah, and, and also seeing kind of how these trends kind of come and go. Uh, the the timpani tuner in that in the uh, Carlton kick drum, you know, I I haven't seen any other drums like that until I believe it was in the eighties. Yamaha came out with a Tim tom floor tom, hmm. and I believe it was, I only think they made a 14-inch, they may have made a 16-inch as well, and it was the same concept, but it was a floor tom with a tuner on, mechanism on the inside and a pedal. It, it didn't hold pitch, but you could go up and down. I remember uh, seeing a video at some point where Billy Cobham was using one. Oh, cool. you know, it, was, again, it, was, it was a little bit of a trick, but kind of a fun thing. Again, just trying to expand the palette of what what drummers have in their arsenal.
0: Yeah, really. Wow. So, to look at where we're at now, so this is the Carlton is in 1948 and it was designed to be for tight orchestra pits, right? So instead of having this footprint of this drum set spread out, you shrink it and it's kind of like um like you're a New York City guy, it's like okay, we can't build wide, let's build up, you know. Yep. <laughs> so it's exactly. Like the skyscraper exactly. of uh, of drums. So, that's pretty yeah. neat. Yeah, we'll come back to that
1: when I tell you about where where, and how I found my cocktail drums. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That comes later. Um, yeah, so the, the next step really, um, again, this is all based on catalogs um, that I have. And all these catalog images are on on the website as well. Um, 1951 was the year that these things really started coming out. So the, the next thing that really happened was that um, Slingerland came out with a kit they called the combo bebop and this was a kit which had a bass drum and a snare drum but the bass drum was designed to be used either traditionally Hmm. sitting on the ground with a pedal hitting straight forward or it had the hardware on it that you could flip it up and have the play the top head and the pedal actually was convertible so uh there uh, Slinger at the time had the Gene Krupa. Everything was Gene yeah, Krupa sure. at, at, at that point. Um, they had the Gene Krupa pedal, and they made that reversible. I actually have one, and it's very easy to disconnect. It's it's a metal piece instead of a strap, but you disconnect that. You can just flip it over to the other side and hook it in, and suddenly your pedal is hitting up instead of f- forward.
0: Yeah, Jeez.
1: And uh, it was a really cool thing. But the whole idea was adapt to the situation. Here's your one kit. And if you need something where you're playing, say a timpani part, I'm doing air quotes there. Uh, you could flip the bass drum over and have that. Or if you're doing this kind of rhythmic African drumming, you you could play it with sticks, play it with mallets, and uh, you know use it for those other purposes, or just use it as a regular drum kit.
0: Hmm. Wow! Um, it's, so that oh, go ahead. It's I'm looking at the um uh the catalog page right now again on your website, but like. So $127 for the nickel version, $142 for the chrome version, which I mean in 51, that's not cheap. And the reversible pedal was uh, $18.50, which that's not super cheap, but this is such a cool technology to be able to just flip your drum. I've said this before, but a lot of these old, cool, you know, unique technologies, I always think to myself like, man, I could see that today. I could see A and F doing that where you take the bass drum and flip it. Upright or something, you know? It's just yeah, yeah. so cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, it is an interesting thing. And it 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 really went out, you know, completely phased out. Uh I think that those particular setups phased out by the end of the
0: fifties. Uh that really wasn't a thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a parallel too of the of the day of um like Lionel Hampton and these guys who were kind of like the front men drummers who would stand there and be, it's like a very showman-y and, and Gene Krupa's in movies. And it's just like, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's very theatrical versus sitting down. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and I'll, I'll point out a couple of things. Um, the, the earliest sighting that I have of what I would call a cocktail drum is in a 1941 movie, Ball of Fire in which Gene Krupa and his band play. And there's a drum on the stage. Hmm. Now it's, he doesn't play it. So I have no idea if it was just a prop or if it was something that he actually performed on, but it looks like it's two floor tom shells, one on top of the other with a band in the middle. There's no legs, there's no air gap on the bottom, but there is a uh, drum rim on the top. So it, you know, couldn't really tell. It could have been just a stand for the singer to put their drink on. Yeah. I, I really don't know. You know, his his band had, uh, you know, every big band had their music stands and his band had music stands that had little drums built into them that he actually would play on some tunes. So everything on his stage was drum oriented, whether it was functional or not. So yeah,
0: as they're uh, performing uh, drum boogie or something like that, I'm sure I think that's exactly what that's from. That's the song. Yeah, Drum boogie man.
1: um, Yeah. And, and the other thing uh, you mentioned, Lionel Hampton, um, you know, he was famous, you know, he's a vibraphone, he's a fantastic drummer as well. And he was famous as part of his show for, having a solo on a floor tom and there are some videos out there where he's playing both the floor tom and this conga tom that I described Hmm. so he has the two drums and he's going back and forth between the two uh, as part of a solo
0: that's cool all right so we're in the 50s we're in the early 50s right now um
1: so 51 and um yeah let's keep going with that because 51 was was a big year for this so in 51 we had the slingerland combo that we talked about the bebop the reversible pedal They also came out with, uh, now it could have come out before this, but this is the catalog that first had it that I know of. Um, Slingerling came out with their own Radio King combo drum, which is that same single-headed tall floor tom, like the conga tom, that, that was in the Lady catalog in 1931. But the other thing that is really amazing and cool is that Rogers, in their 1951 catalog, they had an outfit called a park lane cocktail outfit so this is the first one that ever called it cocktail Hmm. and that was made up of just standard rogers parts so it was a 16 by 16 floor tom and a 14 by 5 snare drum or sorry i'm doing a backwards 5 by 14 snare drum a 9 by 13 tom tom and they had hardware all over the floor tom to hang the snare drum and the tom and a couple of symbols hmm. off of the floor tom. And they had made their own upbeat pedal mechanism that was integrated with one of the legs of the floor tom. Man, So this is like light years ahead of what anybody else was
0: doing at the time. Yeah. Unbelievable. And, I'm looking uh, at it now. And it is like yeah. going from like clicking from the Slingerland catalog with kind of like the conga drum to, to this. It was like, whoa, that is a modern cocktail kit right there. Maybe the floor tom would be a little longer, but man, this thing is like beautiful. I mean, but they're still—they're almost pushing four hundred bucks. I mean, in the fifties, which is pretty serious.
1: It's a—it's a a full kit. Yeah. Um, And and I think the the really significant pieces are that one the snare was separate from the the floor tom. Uh, So, well, it's significant kind of in the whole history of it. Um, Some of the combo drums did have this snare mechanism. On the inside even for the single-headed ones i had a slayer that had this um and you know it's basically like half of a snare bed that is attached to like a muffler strainer so you twist the thing to tighten the snares up against the bottom of the top head Hmm. um and it's it's a weird sound it's not doesn't sound like a regular snare drum so i think that you know they they figured out that problem by doing this. Sure. Um, the only thing with the park lane is I I think you would normally have to sit down to play it because it's a regular 16 inch high floor Tom. Yeah. So you're, you're not really going to get it up to a playing position uh, unless you're
0: really leaning over to, to play the thing. Yeah. Um. My thought too, is like, that is so much weight on oh, yeah. these legs and like everyone, I mean, I've, everyone's had drums from like, even like the nineties or the eighties where like, you're playing, you're playing, you're playing. Boom, the wing nut gives out on the floor, Tom, and it slides to one side or it just falls down. <laughs> this probably has yeah. 20 pounds, maybe more of, of stuff. I mean, you'd have to crank this thing down.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, their their hardware was very, very strong.
0: They're known for that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and the, the one other thing in that same 51 catalog for Rogers is they did offer uh, a set called the Showcase Outfit, which basically was a full drum kit with a twenty inch kick and a twelve and thirteen inch tom and sixteen inch kick drum and fourteen inch snare drum, but it included all that hardware on the floor tom and the upward uh hitting kick pedal hmm. so that you could take you could have your full kit if you needed it if you had a small little gig and you wanted the small kit, you could just take the pieces that made the park Lane outfit. Wow, so it was one of the first kind of uh, modular, a full kit that's designed to be modular and taken apart and used as a smaller kit when you need it.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, it's neat too um, that you have, you know, uh, you can click you you've you've included the various pages that have cocktail related stuff that you can you can buy just the upward you know hitting bass drum pedal on its own. Um, how does that? I've never actually really looked at one. How does that technology work? Is it basically just the, it's just flipped? You know what I mean? Like the, the, the spring pulls it up basically. Yeah.
1: I mean, really all all you really need to do is let, let's just talk strap because that's the easiest thing to, to picture. You know, the strap comes around the front of the pedal. And when you push down on the pedal, it pulls the strap, which pulls the beater forward and into the bass drum head. Well, if you take that strap and go behind the other direction and connect it when you push down on the pedal, it's going to pull back towards you. Mm-hmm. So you you have to move the beater so that it's uh, you know, below horizontal so that it's going to go up. Got it. And and hit the bottom head. Interesting. Um yeah, there there's actually uh at least one article on my site for converting um one, I think there's two actually. I think there's a, a DW conversion article that uh, a friend put together there, and then there's one that I did for just kind of a, a cheap pedal, just to show people how how they can do it. Yeah, that's neat. Um, depending on the pedal, it's it's pretty easy to do.
0: Yeah, it's cool. I love in the Rogers stuff where like looking at the the one the page with the showcase outfit, how it's Camco pedals. It's just neat to see, you know, so much different history going on on their um, yeah on that so cool okay then where do we go from there
1: yeah so then um four years later 1955 singerland's next catalog has the new in quotes two-headed cocktail drum and this is to me this is the first full-on what what i view as the basic cocktail drum Hmm. so it's a in their case it's a 14-inch drum bottom head and a top head sitting on legs like a floor tom but it's 20 i think this one was 24 inches tall and it has the snare the half snare mechanism on the inside and it has an upbeat pedal in 55 they were still using the krupa reversible pedal yeah for that um, and then there's a bracket sort of a u-shaped bracket that connects onto the legs uh, below that you can then clamp down your your bass drum pedal to cool um so again to me that is really that that's the fundamental cocktail drum but people are welcome to to differ
0: yeah (laughs) now do you put i think i've always wondered this do you put in the cocktail drum um do you put like a little pillow or anything to muffle on the bottom it it really depends um i've seen Everything from, some people
1: put packing peanuts in the drum so they oh, just rest cool. on top of the bottom head and then they poof, you know, it gives it a little sustain while they float yeah. and come back down. Um, the uh, the Yamaha Club Jordan, which is a modern instrument, a lot of people use zero rings and things like that mm-hmm. on the inside. Uh, of course, you know, now we have all these heads that that have built-in muffling. Sure. Um, all the mad. uh Yeah uh heads and yeah uh, on on my particular drum so i i mostly play this drum that we're talking about right now the slingerland two-headed cocktail drum 14 inch um that that's my main instrument i have a couple of those and over the years i've had a few few others (laughs) cool Um, but that that's to me that's the perfect size um ludwig made a lot of 16 inch ones Which are just a little too big and flappy and low for for my taste for the music that I've been doing on them, Um, but for mine I actually spent a long time trying to get the sound right and you know so I'll take a little detour here. Um, You know these ones also do not have any sort of baffling in the middle. Some of the Gretsch ones and some of the Ludwig ones did have an actual baffle in the middle. Usually up closer to the top, so that you'd get this sort of smaller airspace for the snare piece, yeah, okay. and a larger airspace for the bass piece. Uh, I think they were just trying to stop the snare rattling when you hit the bass drum, uh, because on mine it's a single column of air, so there's just there's no way to avoid it when you hit the kick drum. The snare is going to rattle.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: And and if you put on the same heads, you know, the starting point for most people, coded ambassador, and tune them about the same, it sounds great as a single drum but it doesn't really sound like a good bass drum or a good <laughs> snare drum and it's very messy you know if you turn the snares on and you hit it it just rings and bzzz, you know yeah it's cool if you're looking for a weird sound effect it's actually very cool and it, it can work for the right thing but i was looking for something which would function a little more just as like a kick and a snare so i ended up putting a power stroke three on the bottom and loading it up with. Duct tape and paper towels, oh, like wow. adding as much mass as I possibly could, and tune it down as low as I could while still having a tone. I ended up having to put lug locks on it because the lugs would just fall out by the you know halfway through the gig. Yeah. And then the top, I would put a, a diplomat on it, you know, the thinnest remote sure. head, and crank it. And by making them very, very distinct tunings and head types. It really separated out the sound. Um, the diplomat still—if I wanted—if I did a rim shot really close to the edge, you still get some ring. The snare actually sounds really good like that, but the the kick drum still has a lot of oomph and not not the loudest kick, but you put a mic on it and it sounds amazing. I, I did a lot of shows where I'd show up. You know, I, I used to tour with it actually um, with a singer songwriter. And I would show up and the sound guys would kind of snicker and then they'd I'd be like, look, tr- trust me, just put some mics on it. And, you know, once, once they put it through the mixer, it, it sounded great. That's so awesome. Got wow. A lot of good feedback on that.
0: Yeah. And it's, um, I just think in general with, with you in modern times and going back to, you know, any time in the fifties going into the sixties, like it's just unique. Like it makes you stand out, get it? Cause you're standing. Um, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> put <him> on the <laughs> cocktail kit, no, but it, it, it's really unique. Um, so would you say that that's more than, you know, with the Carlton kit in 48, where you're in the pit and it's, you know, space saving, how much of it is you love the sound of it and not you, but just in general versus it's just a very unique, cool way to play the drums standing up. Do you think yeah. like, is it? Yeah.
1: Well, I, I think it's a, it you know, sort of different for each person. Um, the thing that I really love about it is I feel like I found my sound on it, and it it is an oh, instrument cool. that you have to work to get the right sound that's going to work for you. You know, I've I've had people come in, they're like, oh, cocktail drum cool and like rock drummers, and they just stomp on the pedal and they smack the top, and they're like, that sounds horrible. Why would you mm. ever want to do that? And it's not for that. You know, it's for very quiet music. Um, You know, again in New York, singer-songwriters playing in a small club. You you can play in a cafe and actually lay into it, and it and it feels good and it sounds good and it's not overwhelming. Um, That's cool. You know, for again, like so, I I for years I played in this band Cocktail Angst, which you and I were talking about before. Um, Yeah, really fun band. playing a lot of kind of high energy latin lounge jazz stuff very humorous thing but a lot a lot of virtuosic stuff in it and when that band started i was just playing a regular drum kit and i found the cocktail drum in at this place uh, out in brooklyn down near coney island um actually this really funny guy uh, anyone who's in brooklyn they might know david covens and he runs this place called the school of musical performance on king's highway in brooklyn and he's been playing drums forever and he just has this space that has rooms and rooms and rooms filled with drums Hmm. and hardware and gear and all this stuff and he's a really nice guy and you know he had one sitting around and i was the price was right and i said okay you know, got to have it. Um, I'd seen them before. The first time I ever saw one was uh, Matt Wilson, well-known jazz drummer. He and I were in Boston at the same time. And we would play in groups on the the same shows, you know, over the course of the night. And I saw him playing with uh, a duo set with Charlie Cole Hayes on the cocktail drama. And I was so fascinated by it. And he did such amazing things on it. So it it always stuck with me. I was like, that's so cool. cool yeah. And when I had the opportunity to get one, I just had to do it. And I just started playing in this band Cocktail link, so um, I remember the first time I brought it into rehearsal. I did not know how to tune it. I didn't have it set up. I said, "Guys, this is a cool thing. trust me help help, help me grow through this. Yeah. you know, just put up with this for a while." <laughs> and I just remember after that first rehearsal, everyone was like. Yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> you know, just very, very nonplussed yeah, cool. that I was suddenly doing this weird thing, and you know, I didn't have an open hi hat, and I had one symbol, and it all just sounded very clangy. And um, hmm. but over time, you know, I added a cowbell, I added some Remo kids bongos, which sound amazing with the right sticks. Uh, I found just the right symbol, a little twelve-inch symbol, perfect for a crash and ride, and and that became the sound of the band. Cool, you know, that, yeah. That, so it really, really worked out great. But um, you that's know, awesome. I think that's what most people find is they have, they have to really work on it and figure out how it fits in to the music that they play and the way they play the drums and
0: what they want to get out of it. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's a great answer because I mean, I guess it it becomes a a part of you, and it's just are you more comfortable on a cocktail kit now than like when you sit on a regular drum set? Not, I'm sure you were great on a regular drum set too, but do you prefer the cocktail? Yeah. Uh, no,
1: <laughs> I'll be honest. Okay.
0: Uh, no, no, I, I play much more regular kit. I mean,
1: yeah. I, I used to gig out several nights a week on the cocktail drum and you know, I, I was really in shape on it. It, it is tiring because you are largely standing on one leg you know, kind of holding up your, your bass drum leg. Again, everyone has a different technique. Yeah. For that. Um, it, it can be hard on your leg. It can be hard on your back a bit. Um, nice thing with cocktail lengths was I didn't always have to play the bass drum. With stuff. So if I got tired, I could actually kind of dance in place and just play the cowbell on the bongos and the snare and do stuff. Sure. Um, cause we, we used to do, you know, four or five hour nights playing and that's a lot. I yeah. Mean, one set on the cocktail drum is, is not hard. <laughs> <laughs> but doing doing long nights
0: of stuff, it, it can get exhausting. You read my mind on a question there about. Um, I was going to say, are you typically playing these heel down because of the whole balance thing? I mean, or is it kind of like you said, you you're lifting your foot up or your heel? You know what I mean? Like, how does the bass yeah. drum work?
1: Yeah. Well, for the most part, I would say again, I play relatively quiet. Um, you know. I I feel like I have the sounds right so that at the dynamic that I play, they sound really good and they they have impact. And if I need reinforcement, I'll just mic them rather than try and play a lot louder. Yeah. Um, so from that perspective, you know, my left foot is usually planted on the ground. My right heel is usually down and planted. So that way I have like a nice solid position to play from. Mm -hmm. And then on the kick drum you can actually be very dynamic with it so if it's just something straightforward i'll just play heel down if i need to do a lot of doubles i can just lift the heel up just enough and just balance back on my other foot and and do that when i need to but again it you you just end up shifting around just to to save yourself the pain of of uh, yeah. you know, standing on the one leg. Well, I've, I've actually, at times I've, I've literally switched feet and played the kick with my left foot. Man. If, if uh, things were getting too painful,
0: I can tell you right now from being in a cast in a boot with the Achilles tendon rupture and having surgery of like totally not drum related, actually the farthest thing from drum related, because I can't play the drums right now, but like where you're standing, you're not putting all your weight on one foot, it starts to just kill your other foot. And then yeah. you have to shift. And it's just so... So I I, I feel your pain um, with that. But um, all right, let's hop back into the history here, obviously. Um, so I think we were towards the end of the 50s there. So what happens then in, in the 60s?
1: Yeah, so um, 55, I'll just mention that um, Gretsch got into the market as well. They They came out with a single-headed cocktail drum. They actually called it a cocktail drum also. So obviously sometime in in the early 50s, someone started calling these things cocktail drums. But Gretsch had offered a single-headed and a double-headed cocktail drum with a pedal. They had their own uh, upbeat pedal mechanism. Hmm. Those ones also came with a a little tom on the side. So the snare was built in to the main drum, but they did have a little uh, 8-inch tom on the side. Um, So just variations on the same thing. Uh, in 59, uh, cocktail, uh, sorry, Ludwig offered a cocktail lounge drum. (laughs) That's what they called it. It was another single headed tall drum. So that was the first time we saw that from Ludwig and it had the snare mechanism in it. Um, they also Ludwig came out with this one they called the Las Vegas club drum. And that was a 16 inch double headed cocktail drum. So again, a tall drum, but it was 16 inches in diameter, and it had a snare mount that attached to the side of this 16-inch standing drum and held a 13-inch snare. Wow, man. So um, again, that was their sort of version of, of things. Yeah. Um, Ludwig also, in that same year, 59, came out with the Speedmaster pedal, which was also reversible. Hmm. Um, it, a much simpler pedal. You actually... the uh, it has a leather strap and it attaches to a post. And all you do is undo the wing nut for the post, pull it out and flip it around to the other side of the pedal and put it in. You you can reverse those things in five seconds. Um, cool. they're, they're not the strongest pedals they're but they're, you know, they're easy, easy to play and lightweight. Yeah. Good, good for carrying around.
0: I love the, um, on your website again i love the las vegas club the ludwig the page for the ad here where it's just like las vegas and it's got it's yeah. like glowing and there's like the the outline of a woman standing up playing wearing a dress um and just to read this here it says with like the little kind of description next to it says with this complete drum set you can stand up and play ideal for entertainers singers comedians and master of ceremonies Full snare drum and hi hat effects, plus ride cymbal holder and bass drum beat. Cymbals not included in the price, but extra, according to selection. That's interesting, because yeah, I mean, I guess if you're a singer or a comedian, I can't really imagine a comedian like, you know, here I'm, I'm, I'm here to do some comedy. Let me bring my cocktail drum set. But that's an interesting take on it. You know,
1: well, if 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 someone wants to do their own, but you know, I I bet you somebody did that. Yeah. Um, yeah, the a really interesting thing in the in the fifties, I've seen a lot of pictures. Um, and again, there's a bunch on the site. There, there's actually a photo gallery um that has a bunch of things in there as well. But there uh there's one person there, Lynn Page, I believe her name is, that uh one of the people, you know, members of the community sent me these pictures and he's like, This is my mom. Wow, she was cool. a singer, a lounge singer, and she played with these little combos and the pictures of the band and her, and she's holding sticks, and there's a cocktail drum in front of her. and mm. she told them, like, "Yeah, I used to play the cocktail drum, and you know would do jam sessions and these things, and I, I think that um, a lot of people would have these little combos, you know, say, you know, piano, bass and a singer." And they just say, "Well, can you play some drums here?" have a cocktail drum. It, it's not too loud and it looks cool and it adds a little percussion That's to what's going on. So I think there, there was a lot of that as well. And certainly the, the showiness of it, I think was, was a real attraction for, for people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll mention that the, so there was the school of musical performance where I got my first cocktail drum and then later he had another one cause he knew I was into the cocktail drum. So he let me know. And there was a store two blocks away from him where I got another one, basically a mint <laughs> gold sparkle Slingerland
0: awesome. kit.
1: And basically after talking with a bunch of the guys down there, they just said, yeah, you know, they, they were blocks away from Coney Island. And they said all the hawkers in Coney Island would have these things for that, you know, step right up, pop, yeah. you know, or, and you know, they, they don't have stages there. They don't have backstages. They just have these little planks to stand on. So it was kind of the ideal thing. Uh, you know
0: way to kind of spice things up make a little bit of noise and try and attract people to your booth that's so cool that makes perfect sense that's that's the kind of stuff that I love with this of like you know yes it's cool I love going through the catalogs but I like hearing about the people who would be using them you know out on the street and the purpose of having this like kind of fold up all-in-one drum set which you know portability is a big thing which goes back you know, to the beginning of the drum set where guys are jumping on streetcars and they're they co- the 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 collapsible bass drums and all that stuff. There's there's been a a quest for. I feel like it's kind of died down a little bit now, where it's not as important because you're not being like you know in a horse drawn carriage or something. But like, um, where portability is huge with this stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: I've I've definitely carried my cocktail drum to a gig on the subway many 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 times. That's awesome. Um, and if it if it's the basic setup, just the drum and a cymbal, I can carry it. You know, I, I used to live about eight blocks from the subway station. I could carry it no problem hmm. with cocktail angst. I had all the extra stuff. So I would just have a little hand dolly and, you know, save myself that pain. And,
0: but it, not, great. not too bad. No, you know, no, another benefit. Okay. So, yeah. so that's the fifties, right? Yep. Yeah,
1: yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I can, I can blast through the rest because so things didn't change. Too much after this point, except uh, there was one new addition, and let's see, uh, it was in sixty-three. Both Slingerland and Ludwig, and and this was not in their sixty-two catalogs, uh, but in sixty-three, both Slingerland and Ludwig came out with drums that were a small bass drum, which instead of a tom. They had a mount with a snare basket and a snare on top. So it was a separate kick drum and snare drum, but the snare drum basket was mounted on top of the kick drum. Hmm. Uh, The slingerlin was a 16 by 16 kick, obviously built out of a floor tom with a 14 inch snare. And the Ludwig one called the Gold Coast was an 18 inch kick with a 13 inch snare
0: on top. Man, that's so cool. I think that's so genius and you explained it really well just to like in case someone out there is is not on the website or looking so basically just imagine your regular bass drum and then where your tom mount is which i imagine it's basically the same size you could probably use this bass drum and switch it out and um put a time mount in but okay so your bass drum and then you know where you're the hole for your tom mount there's just a you know a portion of a snare stand coming out of it and the snare is on top of the bass drum all connected um which is such a cool idea um i guess there's no real do you see that there's a benefit to having one way or the other or is they are they both kind of unique in their own way yeah
1: well i think i think they did this because some people probably were getting frustrated that they couldn't make the single drum sound like a separate kick drum and a snare drum you know, and, and this way they at least could do that. You really had the two separate instruments, but it still was designed to take up a relatively small amount of space and, and to be played standing up. Yeah. The mount was pulled forward towards the drummer just to, so that the snare could be close enough sure. to be played standing up.
0: Yeah. It's also interesting to note that in 63, both Ludwig and Slingerland came out with basically the same technology where they have historically like a feud of like it's this battle between the two of them of like you know the the age old story of like sneaking into the garbage and stealing stuff to see what they were working on so kind of interesting how like you know in the same year they came out with this same technology yeah, yeah 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 i'm i'm sure it was
1: highly competitive you know i think all these things kind of took because someone said oh well that could be cool we we should get in on that before it explodes yeah but i i really don't know how much cocktail drums exploded <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. i think there were a lot out there again i, I think they were mostly showpieces um and you know probably were used for exactly that you know i bet a lot of small lounges just had them there you know just like now everybody's got a you know a cheap pearl kit at their club sure you know they probably just had a drum a cocktail drum there just in case yeah for whoever was showing up to to use it
0: absolutely and and this is another one of those things where you know i'll say it but i don't know i can't remember the exact um oh god i feel like I, I can't remember where i saw it um a vintage japanese cocktail drum that i think was oh here i found it right here just looking um it it was the midget which again is not the greatest word to use but um cocktail drum kit i guess that was uh kingstone starfield drums from in the 1970s i'm seeing this on star-drums.de
1: yeah certainly you know there there were so many uh japanese companies that were basically making the identical products as as all the american companies so yeah, yeah they're definitely i've seen several cocktail drums from the japanese
0: manufacturers from the 60s yeah Cool. Of course, they, uh, I, which is just cool. Cause again, you know, if you can't afford the Ludwig, you could buy this. And even, even today it's like, these are probably more expensive than your average, you know, um, MIJ drum set because they're, they're more rare, but, um, I mean, the, the, you know, it's still, it's a, a different
1: era of wood, yeah. even if it wasn't the same quality as some of the American stuff, the the quality of the wood and the craftsmanship is often phenomenal compared yeah. to what you get for the same price today.
0: Sure. Absolutely. OK, so um, I like how you said before, which is interesting about how in the 60s, not much changed after that, which kind of like this is another theme that happens on the show, too, where you kind of hit like the 80s or something. And it's like, well, that's pretty much when it stopped changing. But um, so they're they're obviously included in catalogs like it's still like a a staple of drum catalogs. What looks like for the next couple the next decade or so. Right. They're still relatively popular.
1: Uh, I think. Uh, let me. Well, sorry, I may have to actually look, but uh, I believe '63 was the last appearance of the cocktail drum in the Slingerland and Ludwig catalogs.
0: Hmm.
1: It certainly was around that. Basically, the the way I always describe it is by the '70s, nobody wanted these things. <laughs> um. Jeez. Yeah. Here we go. I, I have. Oh, I'm. I'm sorry. There's a, a 73. Um so Slingerland, their 73 was the last catalog with okay. with cocktail drums, and they had both the uh, the cocktail outfit. Uh, that one's called number two eight six. That's the one with the sixteen inch kick and the snare drum on top. And then they did have the regular fourteen inch drum with the the uh, upward hitting pedal, and they still had the single headed cocktail drum at that point too. Yeah, um, but yeah, 73 uh, Gretsch seventy. Was the last catalog that they had, so you know I think by the by the 70s they really were dying out. You know, rock and roll was becoming king. Th- these were not sexy rock and roll drums. They were small, weird, flat-sounding, uh, weirdo drums. Yeah. And and uh, you know they I think people probably still associated them with like lounge jazz, which was was quickly losing steam.
0: Yeah, but that's where, so I'm kind of just like thinking now, like, so obviously the term cocktail comes from that like lounge jazz, like uh, Las Vegas, you know, performers like standing up kind of playing. That's where that cocktail term uh, for the drum set comes from. And And I know you said it just sort of like it caught on and it popularized and that became the name just probably in like the culture of like. You know yeah grab grab the cocktail drums, some one guy probably said it, and it probably spread, but um, right, that makes sense that 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 name went with that style, which, like you said, kind of went away, yeah, yeah, and I think you yeah, know I think it was a small drum for playing in a small cocktail
1: lounge mm-hmm. where you couldn't bring in a full big kit. It was a small small combo playing quietly, so it was kind of the perfect thing I mean these days i I see people calling a lot of the mini kits cocktail drums. For that same reason it's just a small kit for playing at a at a cocktail party or in a cocktail lounge and maybe yeah. it's a small kit with a 16 inch bass drum or something and yeah um, but but not what not what i would call a cocktail drum i i think of it as kind of a a thing
0: <laughs> yeah like you have to stand up i would agree where i've seen it where it's like 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 that's like almost like a club kit or something yeah. but like yeah. let's keep cocktail drums you know what they should be this is our our call to action of (laughs) 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 call it what it is but um all right and then this is uh like side note so there was a while where i was like in i forget i didn't i had no reason to have it i was playing in bands and stuff but i had no reason to have it but i know and they may not even um make it anymore but i know groove percussion um which i think was like. I think I was looking at it on like on Walmart's website or something, but I'm sure it's not very nice, but I know you can get a GP, you know, groove percussion cocktail kit for like 300 bucks, which I know that that's not the most, that's like us being like, you know, go buy like a percussion plus kit or whatever, you know, just like a no brand name drum set, but kind of cool that you can get a cocktail kit for that cheap. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. And I, I think that's basically you know, how cocktail drums started coming back, you know, in the nineties, you know, drum and bass, jungle music, you know, people were really starting to do mini kits and figuring out how to get really good sounds out of small drums. And I think just some of the people out there remembered the cocktail drum and said, Hey, you know, this is basically the same thing. And, uh, yeah, there, you know, there were a few of the cheaper ones, GP, uh, HB, HB drums. Hmm. Um, I mean, even Trixon, although those came a little bit later, uh, the, but the Trixon ones are actually surprisingly well made for the price. Uh, they're not too expensive. Um, you know, the big one that came out was the Yamaha Club Jordan, which I was trying to find the year. I think it was 2011 that that one really came out. Cool. And that is a full, full out pro, beautifully made. Instrument, um, yeah, that's and awesome. they had the the snare on the side. You know, they had the little eight inch popcorn snare, hmm. and a ten inch tom, and then a lot of companies just took that model and ran with it. Uh, so I think that's what the Trixon is based on. Um, then a bunch of the custom drum makers got into it as well. Uh, Stauffer and Treehouse Drums. Um, this guy Billy Blast makes a bunch. CNC. Uh, I know that you had in an interview with uh, Dunay.
0: They, they made a really beautiful stainless single drum. Cool. Yeah. And you see a lot of like, like I'm looking at uh, the Tama cocktail jam. You see a lot of them now where like, I feel like, like, you know, the rules have gone out the window. Like you can, they can look however they want. Like they're very modular and the hardware has gone to the point where they're like divided up and, um, I feel like Cajones are a very uh, hot topic in the drum world where some people love them and some people hate them, but like where you could incorporate a Cajone with like a pedal that's almost like a remote pedal that's going over here and playing it. Um, So it's, um, it's really the, the, an exciting time for the world of like, you know, stand up drum kits, which is kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. And,
1: and, you know, the, I, I, at this point I would call the, you know, the the tama cocktail jam i i, I could call that a cocktail drum <laughs> it has the upward hitting pedal <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know
1: those, those are the two the two things to me is that, that the, the a pedal is hitting the bottom of a drum and or you're standing up to play it um you know the those yeah. seem to be the two things i, I just call those ones floor tom based cocktail drums okay. and and it's basically uh, you know i mean it's what's funny is it's basically the rogers park lane Sure. That, that's what they've done. They've modernized the Rogers Park Lane, which is from 1951, which is crazy. You know, here it, it is, is 60 plus years later and, and they're just kind of doing the same thing, just, but with improved hardware and, you know, they have, they have a gap, you know, air gap in the middle, which I think helps the sound of the bass drum. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, there there were a bunch. So, you know, right around 2000, I think the mini kit thing started spilling over into people, experimenting with the cocktail drum things. Um, A real quick rundown of, you know, what was their Slingerland, which, you know, at that point, they were a completely different company. Mm -hmm. They were making terrible uh, stuff through the 70s, 80s, uh, 80s, really, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Um, So they weren't great quality, but they made a kit called a Slingerland Espresso, which was based on a 16-inch floor tom. Same thing, hanging off a small snare, a small tom and cymbals with an upward hitting pedal. Uh, Peace Manhattan kit came out. Um, that one was the same basic concept, except they they sort of designed it so that the snare would stack on top of the floor tom. So you were, you were still playing a vertical drum, but it was still physically two separate drums. Gotcha. And actually one of the Dunaid, uh stainless drums was like that too. They, they actually rest the snare on top of the uh, kick drum. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then I think I mentioned the Kixon, uh, Trixon, which is like the Club Jordan, uh, the Yamaha Club Jordan, which the, the one cool thing about that is they made it a 15-inch main drum, which I appreciated because that sort of split the difference be- between this what, what feels to me as oversized 16-inch tall main drum, but it gave a little more oomph than a, a 14-inch, especially if you're using it as a floor tom and a kick drum. If you're not yeah. doing the snare um sure man also- i'm like
0: i'm like i didn't i mean it's crazy because i've done the show now for so long but i didn't know trickson was still making drums as a company
1: <laughs> yeah I, I think it's still a different company basically Just the name um, maybe like
0: because i know vox and they have the new like speedfire kit i think that's the right one i'm thinking of but um yeah okay interesting yeah i
1: think i think my memory was that there, there's a music store in wisconsin labs music which actually used to play a lot with one of the lobs sons in Boston, um, and I believe that they own the trademark for Trixon. Uh-huh. I feel like it was something like that, and that sure. they started manufacturing through a third party under the Trixon name. But but they are well made drums, you mm-hmm. know. And, and again, the price point is pretty amazing if you're looking just to get. A cocktail drum to get into it they're they're very well made for, for the price
0: yeah like 4 um, four forty 40 is the price exactly. of most of them yeah. so um i would buy that before i bought a gp uh, no offense gp but <laughs> no but i mean that's again like i always say if you have a groove percussion kit that's great you do you they're awesome to get you playing the drums but these i mean Trixon has so much history groove yeah. percussion wasn't around in the you know 60s and um yeah so and you'll just end up replacing the
1: hardware on the GP stuff. That, exactly. That's that's the main thing. You'll you'll first thing you'll do is buy new heads, and then after six months to a year, you're going to want to replace your hardware. So you can avoid
0: some of that if you uh, throw it down for Trixen. Yeah. Man. Okay. We're we're up to the modern stuff. I learned something new. I learned Trixen is uh, still a company, and on their website, they have kind of uh, digital snowflakes falling the entire time <laughs> as you're on their website, which is interesting. Nice. You don't. That's not. Uh, that's funny. You don't see that too often on uh, modern websites, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, John, now at this kind of, if there's anything else, throw it in there, any cool stories, but I'd love to maybe at this point, usually we kind of say, what are you up to? I know it's COVID. So you're probably up to nothing like the rest of us, but, um, you know, what's going on with you, uh, gig wise, you know, all, all that good stuff. Where can people find you that thing? Yeah.
1: Um so gig wise it's yes, it's very slow. Um I actually live in southern Maine now. I'm in South Berwick, Maine, which is near Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, moved up here a couple of years ago uh, from Brooklyn. And uh there's an amazing bunch of musicians up here. So, you know, we, we are still actively working on music and occasionally playing. Um I've recently been subbing With this band called the the soggy po boys which is kind of a new orleans jazz slash second line band really phenomenal and actually at the last gig i told them i was like next time i'm bringing the cocktail drum (laughs) because i think it's the perfect band for that actually cool um so next time i sub with them i will hopefully be doing it on cocktail drum nice um i also play in an instrumental heavy metal band called bassoon Nice. like the instrument and we're actually just finishing up um our latest recording and some video stuff so that should be uh coming out early this, this next year um very very math heavy not cocktail drum oriented at all <laughs> oh <which> man
0: is, <laughs> if, if, like, funny. it's just funny to think of like a double bass pedal on a cocktail kit and just literally losing your balance and just yeah. not <laughs> being able to stand yeah. up yeah i've been trying to figure out how how to do it but uh you know well that's going to take a little bit of time. <laughs> yeah, that'll take some thinking. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, Um but yeah, I also lead a, a, a Benny Goodman swing band called Flying Home. Cool. Um, I, I do a lot of music and drum transcription as well, so that that's one of my kind of passion projects. You know, I I just started transcribing the music because I love it, and then had so many charts, I got friends together and we formed a band. So
0: that's awesome.
1: Um, you know, when non-COVID times were, were usually pretty active in the area and then and then just some more experimental um jazz ish stuff um i mean a band called shaman denominator it's a trio with drums upright bass and then a uh trumpet player keyboard player
0: Hmm. see that sounds uh, like the metal band shaman denominator i mean versus bassoon (laughs) sounds (laughs) right it's more more of a, yeah, but Chaman
1: is, uh, we, we do all kinds of stuff. I mean, we play cool. some standards, a lot of originals. We do interpretations of Bela Bartok material and Eric Satie and stuff like yeah. that. So it's, and some free improvisation stuff. Cool. And then also just play singer songwriters. I mean, I play bass as well. My wife, uh, Laura Cromwell plays drums in a band with our friend, Monica Cohen, who in a band called uh, Sifter. Nice, and that's more like singer songwriter stuff, and um, so that's not a drum thing. But
0: Laura's a great drummer, so that's awesome. <laughs> love hearing her. Yeah, got to shout the wife out, especially if she's a drummer. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That's no, and I'll, cool. I'll
1: tell you my I'll tell you my early story because before we were going out, we we were you know both drummers. We played a lot at the Knitting Factory in in New York, so we we knew each other, but not all that well. And I, I got the call from Laura saying. Hey, so I'm doing some gigs in the subway, and I hear you have a cocktail drum. <laughs> you think you think I could borrow that? And of course, I'm you know being incredibly protective and precious, going, "Well, it's a vintage, and I don't really like taking it out." And da, 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 da. Yeah. of course, I've, I've never
0: lived that one down. <laughs>
1: now, fortunately, it still worked out, and she can use my cocktail drum anytime she wants. Exactly. <laughs> That's
0: why she married you, right?
1: <laughs> right. She had to marry me first to use a cocktail drum. Good. Very sneaky. Yeah. Man. Um hey, I wanted if if I can take a minute to, to just to give a shout out to people who I consider are sort of important in in my mind in the cocktail cocktail sure, drum world. Please. Um you know, again, my my perception of the cocktail drum is it's just a weirdo instrument that, you know, maybe had its moment in the sun as a weird gimmick. But I feel like over time, people have really embraced it as a strange experimental instrument. And I think there are a lot of people who were trying to do it that probably didn't know what a cocktail drum was. So a few quick examples are um, a drummer named Ross Barber. He was the drummer and one of the singers in a band called The Four Freshmen, which was a male vocal group in the fifties, and he would perform he had this weird custom rack. it almost looked like the base of a desk with a tabletop taken off, but it just had a snare drum and two cymbals, but he would stand up and play this thing and sing. um so again, cool. just just experimental drum setup. It was like I see it, and I'm like this guy had the first drum rack, yeah. Yeah, that's basically what it was. Wow. Um other people Mo Tucker from the Velvet Underground, you know, she had her kick drum flipped on its side and played it with her hand. She didn't use her foot. I mean, mm. she she could and sometimes she would, but a lot of times she would just play the kit and just play a bass drum with her hand. That's awesome. um I think she would sit, but I'll still give it to her cuz that was a really <laughs> cool thing to do.
0: Sure.
1: Um Bill Conway was a drummer in a band called Treat Her Right, and then which be- later became Morphine. Um, he had a Ludwig cocktail drum, I think it was a 16. And he played that exclusively in Treat Her Right for a while. And then he did play it on some some Morphine tracks as well. I don't know if you're familiar with that band, but they're an amazing band out of Boston in, in the 80s and 90s. Well, Morphine was in the 90s. and um, But he, he did play the cocktail kit in Treat Her Right. There's some videos out there of him playing it. Um, Cool. Very, very cool. And he got, he had the thing sounding great. I actually emailed with him a bunch when I first started the website and he was really, really great guy. Really nice. Um, also slim Jim phantom from the stray cats, Yeah. right? He kick and snare yeah. and a couple of symbols. And I think later he threw a hi hat on the side, but you know, he, he was doing it. He, he basically made his own version of the, you know, Ludwig gold
0: coast yeah, and did that. Um,
1: He's, so- he's who
0: I think of a lot too with it in that world. And, and it, it just kind of like, it's one of those things where like you said, where like, it just fits perfectly. And it's really a part of the sound, um, yeah. like kind of that rockabilly sound. It's kind of jangly and like, it just, it fits really well. Yeah.
1: And and those guys, I mean, they they just broke everything because everyone was in hair bands, you know. <laughs> like at yeah. that point, their metal metal was the was king, and here are these guys doing rockabilly and a weird guy standing up playing kick, <laughs> and a cymbal. <laughs> like yeah. It, yeah. it was pretty pretty impressive. Definitely. Um, yeah, th- there's another band from Canada called Moxie Fruvis that was around for the '90s, um, and he, uh, the I don't know how to pronounce his name, Ian G N with a J, uh, Gomeshi. Uh he was the lead singer and played the drums and he had a kick drum with a snare basket mount on top. I, I don't think it was a traditional, you know, Gold Coast, but I think he just made his own. That's um, cool. So anyway, he was doing that. Um there's a woman, uh Fuzuki, who played in the band X-Girl, kind of a Japanese punk band. I have I don't know check them out they're really amazing and and she played just floor tom and snare so it was all with sticks but she stood and played floor tom and snare and and just played the hell out of it it was really really great um yeah and then just more traditional people bernie dressel played with the brian setzer band um and he played a dw cocktail kit um kind of like the club jordan you know i think he did that kind of as a tribute to the stray cats standing thing yeah but uh he's a phenomenal drummer and you know re- really played that thing beautifully mm. um steve jordan who helped design the yamaha club jordan uh he was playing the club jordan with the john meyer trio there's a bunch of videos of that as well and then you'll you'll see him on all sorts of things playing that and then uh the last one who did a project with that that I know of was Peter Erskine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a band called the Lounge Art Ensemble. And the, the first record he used, the Club Jordan. I think after that, he went back to a, a traditional set. But yeah. that, that was a cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then you just see them. People do little cameos with them. Uh, there's a video out there with Mick Fleetwood playing a Club Jordan. There's a Club Jordan in uh, Austin. the first Austin Powers movie.
0: <laughs> really? Um, with, Bert, with Bert Bacharach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's playing. That's awesome. Um, like on the top you, of the uh, double-decker bus kind of thing there?
1: Yeah, I think they're on a street for that for oh, the cool, scene that has cool. the cocktail drum. But um, <laughs> there's a guy, Dan Hicks, and the Hot Licks, who've been around forever. He, he That was a funny one because he actually rented my cocktail drum because uh, they were on the Conan O'Brien show. Nice. And I got this weird call from his manager saying, hey, can we rent rent your cocktail drum? We we really want to use it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, he did, but uh, I, th- I thought that was very... Uh, Innovative of him because it was kind of pre pre all the other cocktail drums, he just thought it was a cool thing to have out front. Yeah, man,
0: you know what's what's old is new, and I'm sure yeah. they'll go through more iterations and changes and stuff. They're they're always there, in the you know, like I said earlier, like there's always you know, most companies have them. Like, yeah, you can get a cocktail kit, like it's like, yeah, it's on page. Ten of the catalog and like the '60s. It's like they're we we offer them. Like, you, why not? You know, someone wants them, and um, it's just so cool. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think someone like you who's doing a great uh, service to them by again having this website and uh, spreading the knowledge like this. is just uh, it's what it's all about. And this is one of those things where like I don't know why like I have a list of episodes. It, sometimes it takes me a while just to be like, all right, oh yeah, let me do the cocktail one. I Googled it and within five minutes, I was like, oh, I think this is the guy to talk to, cocktaildrum.com. I think John might be, yeah. be who I want. So, yeah. um, Well, and I, I really,
1: you know, it's a communal effort. I started that website because I suddenly had a cocktail drum and there was no information about them anywhere. So my my first page had a picture of a cocktail drum and it just said, Hey, if you know anything about these, please email me so I can build up a source of information, you mm-hmm. know, on on the website. And over time, over many years, you know, people joined in, jumped in, sent me pictures, you know, catalog scans, stories, helped make some of the articles about things. Uh, the site is long overdue for an overhaul, but uh, but the info's there and it's good, and you know, hopefully, people are enjoying it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the cool thing is like history, like you have very, um, it's very like factual history of like, this is the catalog. This is the next thing where it's not like some crazy story or something being being thrown out there. So it's not like the history is going to change, but people can just add on to it. So, hey, I mean, if people out there listening know something different about cocktail drums, go to cocktaildrum.com. And um, check it out. And John's info is on there. And I'm sure he'd be happy to work with you and talk and add info to his website and all that good yeah. stuff. Um, yeah,
1: please drop me a line. I have a player's page where I, I post links to people who are actively playing cocktail drums and things like that. So check that out because there, there are a lot of guys in Europe that are doing and A lot of rockabilly guys in Europe in particular Yeah, um, really love the cocktail drums.
0: Cool. All right, John. Well, um, on that note, I think that's a great... Uh, Ending to the episode. So again, people can check out cocktaildrum.com and it's John Medham, who is the, uh, the kind of the cocktail drum man. Um, so John, thank you for taking the time to be on the show with us and, uh, sharing your knowledge. That's my pleasure. Thank you so much. If you like this podcast, find me on social media at drum history, and please share rate and leave a review and let me know topics that you would like to learn about in the future. Until next time, keep on learning. This is a Gwyn Sound Podcast.